Amen. All right. Well, somebody said, well, we're back to evil. <laughs> and, uh, um, we, we've been doing this series for a while. We took a break for a while uh, on the problem of evil. And I know that sounds like not the most exciting topic, and I don't like talking about evil all day long, but really what I'm trying to do is defend the character of God, and that's why I think this is so important. How many of you want to love God? I mean, the Bible says we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's the first commandment. Do you know that your love for God will never outstrip the picture of Him that you have in your heart? You, you can never love God more than how beautiful He is in your own heart. Meaning, if, if I think that God secretly behind the scenes is, is causing all kinds of evil to me and to those around me, I can try to love Him, but I'm always going to be held back a little bit by this picture in my head that maybe He's actually secretly a vindictive God doing a bunch of the, the evil. And um, my primary concern in, in teaching the Scripture really always is I just want to help us see God clearly. I want to know God. That's the, the goal of my own heart. And as a pastor, I want to help you guys know God. And that's why we're doing this series. What we're going to try to do, if, if you haven't been here, you can get all these messages on our website, careskingdomchurch.org or .com. I can't remember. I think both of them work. But anyway, you can also find me on YouTube if you just search Max Cornell on YouTube. And if you hit subscribe, it'll email you when I put this stuff up there. If you've missed these, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen because they do all kind of build. But this one will make sense even if you haven't been here. Um, The question that we're dealing with is why is there so much evil in the world? That's a good question, right? There's lots of bad stuff that happens. Why does it happen? And what we're going to talk about for this week and and next week, and then maybe even after Greg leaves, is the issue of free will. Free will is a complicated issue, and I'm going to try to uncomplicate it. There's a whole bunch of debates surrounding this. It's, It's a theological debate, but it's also a philosophical and scientific debate. And I don't pretend to understand the philosophical and scientific parts as well as the theological ones, but... Uh, I'll bring a little bit of that in as we go through that because I think it's important. Um, But basically the question is this, why is there so much evil? In Christianity, there are two big opinions. Uh, There's what's called the blueprint model, and this believes that evil exists because of the will of God, that evil, it furthers the plan of God in some fashion, and that people might make decisions that uh, you know, seem to be of their own free will, but underneath that, God is orchestrating everything sovereignly, and at the end of the day, God is controlling it, and therefore the evil exists because of the will of God. That's called the blueprint model. There are great people that love Jesus that hold to a blueprint model, but I don't agree with that. I hold to the warfare model. What the warfare model believes is that evil exists because of Wills other than God. Wills other than God. Human wills, angelic wills. uh, To a certain extent, even animals appear to have some measure of free will. 
I mean, my dog can either obey me or not. I mean, I, you know, you ever notice that? Your dog sometimes doesn't pay attention to you. I mean, what? they have some degree of will. <laughs> so I, I certainly acknowledge that God can use evil circumstances to bring something good. How many of you believe that? God can take any situation and turn it around for good. But I just deny that he is the final cause of the evil circumstance. I believe that God only wants good and never wills evil. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. The most simple theology, in my opinion, is the devil is bad and he wants bad, and God is good and he wants good. The devil doesn't get his way 100% of the time. Thank God. But so too, God does not get his way 100% of the time. Because the Bible says that God wants everybody to be saved and to know him. But not everybody is currently. My worldview then, and and nobody has to agree with me about this, and I'm going to say some fairly controversial things, (laughs) which I guess I normally do, but I, this, this, you know, these, these issues are sticky. Everybody say sticky. (laughs) And so uh, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is, is require you to be more consistent in the way you apply your theology, which typically makes people uncomfortable because we'd like to... We like to have squishy theology, that, and, and there's some benefit to that, but uh, I'm going to try to help us engage our brains and, and think through what we believe. And you don't have to agree with me, but, but it's helpful if you think through this stuff. The Bible says we're transformed by the renewal of our minds. It doesn't say we're transformed by the removal <laughs> of our minds. Sitting in a room and, and doing stuff for purely academic reasons and trying to be smart isn't good, but neither is, is trying to give yourself a lobotomy and not use... It's, it's legal. It is not sacrilege to use your brain in church. And as long as your brain serves your heart, it can be sanctified and it can be healthy. So... I engage with God primarily through my heart, through faith. But if I'm doing that, I can use my brain to understand the Scripture and think things through. All right, so I'm going to tell you two different types of... uh, See, I used to think that the debate was only between free will and determinism. And to, to a certain extent it is, but there's something in the middle that's confusing to people. So free will, the the kind of free will I believe in, which is called libertarian or self-determining freedom, it says... People are the ultimate final location for their decision-making. So that means when I decide to wear my white suit instead of my black suit, there are external factors that influence me, like which suit I wore last week. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I'm the person that makes the decision. And I could have chosen a different suit. Everybody with me? And I can't blame, I can can look to other things that influenced me, but at the end of the day, I can't blame God for the fact I'm wearing the white suit because I chose it. 
In libertarian freedom, people are the final location where the decisions are made. This leads to personal accountability, personal responsibility. We're all responsible for the decisions that we make. Are there things that influence us externally? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I believe that there's no secret force underneath us coercing and and determining me and causing me to do certain things. I believe I get to choose. Now, my freedom is limited to a certain degree. I've only got about four or five suits. (laughs) And I can't decide tomorrow to become a blue alien that lives on Mars. Right? My freedom is limited by a bunch of external factors. But even inside that limitation, I still have a range of options that are real, and I can choose one way or the other. This is how life appears. How many of you will at least acknowledge that's what life looks like? You, get, you wake up and you get to choose. Do I want cereal or bagels? <laughs> now, your options are limited by what you bought previously at Walmart, but you do have choices. That's how life appears. What I want to argue is that life appears that way because it is that way. <laughs> Let's read Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your seed may live. This is God talking to the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant, but it assumes a worldview. And the assumptive worldview is you can choose something. You can make a good decision and be blessed, You make a bad decision and be cursed. Mm -hmm. God places that responsibility on people. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say, I'm going to force you to choose life, or I'm going to force you to choose death. Now, he gives you the answer. It's like a multiple choice test. You can choose A, life, B, death, and then in fine print, the answer is A. (laughs) It's, it's It's not a hard test. But we, we do get to choose. Is that right? Now, that's the kind of freedom I believe in. However, so, so the opposite of that, of that is determinism. And determinism is any belief that says there are a whole bunch of external factors that are exhaustively determining what I do. Meaning at the end of the day, what I do is caused by things outside of me. If I'm an atheist, I would say it's my DNA and what are called causal chains, which is just just a bunch of events in history that are like dominoes and they're pushing me a certain way, Um, or the neurochemistry in my brain. You know, there's all these chemicals swimming in your brain and that's determining your behavior and whatever. If I'm a Christian determinist, I would say that underneath all that stuff, the thing that is driving me is God. Okay? Okay. And so there are lots of Christian determinists, but I'm not one. If you are, I love you, but I'm going to offer you a different perspective. Now, in the middle, between free will and determinism, there's a thing called compatibilism, which I I never really knew about very much. I, I just, it always sort of bothered me because I would talk to a lot of Christians that would say, yeah, I believe in free will, and then they'd say a bunch of stuff that I'm like, well, that's determinism. 
And the reason is, is it's because there's this thing in the middle called compatibilism, and that's the belief that free will and determinism are compatible. And what that looks like is people can do what they want, but they can't want what they want. Okay, what does that mean? It's like this. Imagine a computer program. And a computer program is designed a certain way that it'll produce certain results, right? If, if the computer program was like, could think in, in a certain way, uh, and you, you plugged in these variables, it, it might not know that it was programmed to do a certain thing. For its purpose, it, would, it, might, it might feel like it, it's free to do whatever it wanted, but behind the scenes, the computer programmer is, is determining what's going on. And so in Christianity, what this looks like is, is, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but God is working behind the scenes to program you to flip switches in your brain to make you want certain things. And so at the end of the day, in my, in my opinion, that's, even though they say it's different, to me, that's not different than determinism. Because at the end of the day, all that's saying is, even though it appears to me I can choose what I want, underneath all that, God is driving every decision that I make. Now, here's the thing. A lot of Christians are sort of unknowingly compatibilists. And I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. I've been, I've been in ministry for a while, and I've prayed with a lot of people, and uh, People, a lot of times, will ask me to pray something like this. They'll say, Pastor, I know that God won't violate someone's free will. But, (laughs) but the scripture says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whichever way he will. So I want you to pray that God... We'll change this person's mind and make them do X. All right? And what I've come to believe is that, is that many Christians who mean well and, and want to believe in free will, they believe that God has still somehow programmed like a back door into our brain or into our heart, and there are still some switches in there. And anytime He wants, He can just unilaterally flip a switch and change somebody. And uh, if you believe that, I, I love you. I'm not trying to be mean or criticize you or something, but I don't think that's true. Yeah. And I don't actually think that's what the Scripture says. Yeah. Before I explain what I think that Scripture really means, I, I want to ask you to examine the implications of believing that anytime God wants to, He can flip a switch in your heart and control your behavior. You have to think through the implications. That implies, this is my opinion, but if God can control everyone's behavior, I believe He is controlling everyone's behavior. Even if He is only doing so by refraining from intervening. Just to give you a practical example, let's say for a moment that 
I decide after this that I'm not making enough money, and so I'm going to go and knock over a bank. And I get my gun that I inherited from my grandpa, and I go down to the bank, and I'm like, I want you to put some money in this bag. All right, well, if I do that, there's going to be all kinds of terrible consequences, right? Now, if, if there's an off switch in my brain that God at any moment can flick, to me, the fact, if He doesn't do it and stop me from robbing the bank, to me, He's morally accountable for letting me do that. I'm talking, now listen, I'm going to explain in a minute. I believe God would be, would be trying very hard to influence me not to do that. Doing everything in His power. But if God can just unilaterally control people like robots, that, that puts a tremendous amount of responsibility and blame on God that I don't believe belongs to Him and I believe it impugns His character. If God, if there's an off switch in people's brains that God can flick anytime He wants, I believe God is morally responsible for the decisions of every world leader. Just to use the most extreme example, Hitler. If God could unilaterally, without now I believe God intervened in World War II and that He, he moved on people's hearts and that He, he stirred up the U.S. And, and, and Europe to go in there and stop that. But if God could have just changed Hitler's heart, just turned it whichever way he wanted, the fact that he didn't, in my opinion, would make him morally accountable for the death of six million Jews. And the reason I don't like that theology is I don't think that's, that, that's not a beautiful picture of God. It makes it hard for me to love him. And I want to love God with my whole heart. And then thirdly, I think in some way this is the most important one. If, if God can just program you to do whatever you want, how do you know your love for Him is real? For my decision to serve Jesus to mean anything, I have to be able to have said no. My yes only matters in the context of the ability to say no. And if, if I'm a compatibilist, how do I know that God didn't just flick a switch in my brain and all of a sudden one day I'm a Christian and I had no choice? How does it, if, if I could do that, if, if I had a station at night that I could plug my wife into and program her brain <laughs> so she'd like me, how would that be a rewarding relationship? I might think it was fun for a little bit, but at the end of the day, that's not real love. It's control. It's unhealthy. I don't believe that's the kind of God we serve. I believe God gives people genuine freedom so that when they love Him, it means something. Because God is love, and love only exists in the context of freedom. Well, we still got this verse, though, Pastor. <laughs> Proverbs 21.1. Let's go look at it. Proverbs 21.1 says, "...the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord." Like the rivers of water, that's an important part that usually doesn't get quoted. He turns it whatsoever way He will. 
I acknowledge on the surface, if you just read that by itself without the context of the rest of Proverbs, it, looks, it sure looks like God can just turn somebody's hearts whatever way He wants. But I want to suggest to you that Proverbs is not written... Uh, let me say it this way. Proverbs, in Proverbs, Solomon makes broad, universal statements in order to try to point to what things should be like. Not how they necessarily actually are. And I'll prove this to you. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 10. Proverbs 16, 10 says this, A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. Everybody see that? That says that, says that what comes out of the king's mouth is the Word of God. And He never transgresses. Any judgment coming out of the mouth of the king, it's righteous. Well, is that a true statement? Is that even true in, in Solomon's life? No. He made a judgment where his wives could worship foreign gods. And then, he went and, and then he went and worshipped him himself. There's lots of world leaders, there's lots of kings that make terrible judgments. Is that true? What's this saying? It's saying that a king should speak with divine authority and never transgress. But it doesn't mean that they always do it perfect. It's an ideal that we should shoot for. Does that make sense? What's Proverbs 21 mean? It means that ideally, a king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And ideally, God could turn it whatever way He wanted. Do you know who a king like that was? David. But do you know why David was like that? Because he cooperated. That doesn't suggest that every king's heart is like that. It should be like that, but it's not always. And then, listen to the picture of how he turns it. it, it's It's not like flipping a switch. He says, like a river. You ever seen somebody try to shift where a river's going? That's hard. The river's got a lot of momentum going one direction. You gotta dig it out, you gotta dam it up. It takes time. You gotta push it a different direction. What Proverbs is saying, it's a picture of God exerting non-coercive influence on a person over a period of time to change the course of their life. How many of you will have acknowledged, will acknowledge that God over time has influenced you to move towards His will? Anybody testify to that? But it's non-coercive. Could you have said no at any point? Yeah. Now, I'm going to explain that sometimes there's times when it feels like you can't say no, and I'll explain why that is. Everybody okay? But in the Young's Literal, on the back of your notes, the Young's Literal translation, which is the most literal translation, hence the name, it says that God inclines the king's heart. 
which I think is a better word. It's, it's a picture of influence. Is God trying to influence every king's heart? Of course he is. Is he good? Yeah, but does that mean every king's going to listen? No, in fact, we've got lots that don't. Let's read John 12, verse 32. John 12, 32, Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. I believe that there's a drawing influence on all people. That when Jesus was raised up, that the Holy Spirit was poured out, and the Holy Spirit is trying to influence positively every single person on the planet. God didn't leave anybody out. Hallelujah. God loves everybody. God's trying to bring all men to Himself. Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God has appeared unto all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Does that mean everybody's saved? No, but it means that, it means that God's trying. Now, I know it's, it's like uncomfortable to think about God trying something, but He's working within the framework of our free will. It's like God in eternity past agreed to the rules of engagement, if you will. How many of you have ever played a game with your kids and then they try to change the rules in the middle? That violates the integrity. It makes the whole game meaningless, right? How many of you want your life to have meaning? I want my life to have meaning. That means God can't cheat. He's not a cheater. He doesn't violate his integrity. When he gave people free will, he really meant it. He doesn't take it back. And that's why in Galatians 2, verse 21, Paul says, I don't frustrate the grace of God. But he say this, don't frustrate, don't frustrate the grace of God. Grace of God. What's that? The fact he says that means you can frustrate the grace of God. The grace of God's reaching out to you. It's, it's saying, I want to help you. Quit being a legalist. Quit focusing on your works. Quit thinking you have to earn something from God. Just receive freely. That's what he's talking about. If we refuse to do that, we'll frustrate the grace of God. It's like God trying to give you a present. Imagine on Christmas, you're trying to give your kids presents, and they're like, no, I'm going to earn it. Yeah, I'm unworthy. Look, I don't care whether you're worthy or not. I'm your dad. Open the present. It's not about you. It's about me. I'm good. I don't preach the gospel of Santa Claus. I'm not making a list and checking it twice and having a naughty list. I mean, look, it's not, I mean, God wants us to, to live holy lives, but it's about grace. Anyway, I'm going to get off if I don't. Let's read what Acts says. Acts says, Acts 7:51. This is Stephen's message. This is a harsh statement, but it's powerful. Acts 7:51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, what your fathers did, so do you. Wow. That's kind of harsh. She's saying, look, you guys are resisting the influence of God. 
Your, your forefathers did it too. You ought to quit. But the fact he says that means you can resist. It means, in my opinion, there is no back door in your brain. There is no magic off switch where God can just unilaterally turn your heart. He has to exert, everybody say, non-coercive influence. Okay, now, you might ask, well, but pastor, it seems like that God is exerting different levels of influence on different people, or it seems like there's been different levels of influence in my life at different times. Anybody ever notice, like, sometimes it seems like it's easier to follow God than others? Why is that? Doesn't that mean God might just be sovereignly controlling something? No, there are different factors, and I don't have all the factors, but there are different factors that influence how much God is intervening in your life. One of them, this is interesting, is the agreements with God or the devil of people around you uh, because those agreements create space for God to exert influence on you. All right, that probably didn't make sense to you. Look at, look at 1 Samuel 19. This is one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. But I love it because it illustrates this point really powerfully. How many of you know that Saul, King Saul, resisted the plan of God for his life? I mean, he, he committed a bunch of sin, right? And then he was trying to kill David, and then he was trying to kill Samuel. Do you think God wanted Saul to kill Samuel? No, but, but Saul was, was resisting the plan of God. And uh, in 1 Samuel 19, verse 24, he goes, this is a weird story, Saul goes down to see Samuel, and he runs into this group of people that are prophesying. Now in that time, it meant they were like doing what we are doing this morning probably, they're singing and worshiping God. Now, Saul goes there with the intent to murder Samuel. That's his will. I'm going to go kill somebody. All right, now, look at this. 1 Samuel 19, 24, when he gets there, Saul, he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all day and all that night. That's really weird. I mean, I don't know why he takes off his clothes. I think it's a sign of vulnerability. But here it would appear that God violated this guy's will. Doesn't it appear that way? Because he goes there, he's going there trying to kill Samuel. But then he gets there and he can't, he can't carry it out. Instead he starts worshiping God and takes off all his clothes. I hope nobody ever does that here. But <laughs> Why does that happen? I want to suggest to you that you don't live on an island and that the agreements and the influence of people around you affect you. And Saul stepped into an atmosphere where there were so many people around him that were sold out to Jesus that the influence was overwhelming and temporarily he couldn't carry out what he wanted to do. But you know what? After he left that environment, he went right back to his murderous plan.
This is why sometimes if you get a group of people together in church like this and the Holy Spirit's manifesting and moving, that's why, like I've prayed for people before. I know this sounds weird, but sometimes when I pray for people, the Spirit of God touches them and, they, and they'll fall over and stuff. I've, I've prayed for people before and they've been like, I didn't want to fall down, but I did anyway. Why is that? I don't believe it's God. I mean, in that sense, it is kind of God violating people's will, but He's able to do that because He's working through me, through my will. Does that, does that make sense? So, so what can happen is, in life, what can happen is the people around you can make agreements with the Lord or sometimes with demonic forces, and these can restrict the level of freedom you have in an environment. That's why it's so important who you hang out with. But this also explains, you know, I went to Bible college, and it's a really spirit-filled environment. There's a whole bunch of people there that are yielded to the Lord, that love Jesus. And, you know, there would be people there that would act a certain way at Bible college, but then they'd graduate, and they'd, they'd go off into sin or quit serving Jesus. What's that about? It's about the influence of the environment on their will, and it's so strong that when they're in that environment, they can, they can live like a Christian, but it never reached the heart. And so when they left that environment, it, it, they went back to their old ways of doing things. Does that make sense? The other thing that conditions your freedom is past decisions that you have made. You aren't just you in this moment. You are the sum of your decisions leading up to this moment. Your heart, therefore, can be hardened or softened as a progress of time. If you've ever been in a service and you feel like God is touching you powerfully, how many of you have ever, just raise your hand, you've been in a service and you start crying or, or laughing or something, you, you feel like God's touching you and it's almost like you're trying to resist, but you almost can't. Yeah. Okay, why can't you? It could be the influence of all the other people, or it could be you've said too many yeses in the past. Okay, I've made a habit in my life of, of trying to yield to the will of God. And I've got quite a bit of momentum behind me doing that to the point where now, even if I try to say no in a moment, it's, it's difficult because I've got this history with God of saying yes and my heart's in a certain condition. Now, you can, the, the other thing can happen too, where you can harden yourself to the Lord and it can become harder to say yes. So your history matters. Is this helping anybody? I know this is kind of complex. Um, similar things happen to people who are demonically oppressed. So if you persistently yield to sin and negative thought patterns uh, over time, that limits the scope of your freedom. And if you've ever been involved in a long-term habitual sin, you'll know that that thing increases and in, in, the grip on you can increase over time, right? But thank God Jesus can free you. 
Amen. He can turn the thing around. It's not a problem. And I think it's easier, actually. I think it's easier because God helps you to go to a soft heart than it is to go to a hard one. But nevertheless, you know, I've had people that I've prayed with before, and they're like, it's like I can't control myself. And I'm saying, well, you can. You might not feel like you can right now, but you have, you have a history of saying yes to this wrong thing, and that's limiting the scope of your freedom in this moment. But if you start resisting over time, your freedom will increase, and you'll be able to say no more easily. All right. Right now, we're going to look at a chart that proves free will. So let's, let's put this chart up here. I drew this on paint, so everybody give me a round of applause. <laughs> Hooray for me. Okay. What on earth is this, Pastor? <laughs> if we can point the camera at this, I, I want, I want this, people to be able to see this. Uh, on the far left is uh, a starting point. And as you go to the right, um, you're going forward in time. All right? So at the beginning of each day, there is, there is a range of possibilities open to you. That's the V, that first V, those first two lines. Everybody see those first two lines? Okay. So notice that the, the range of possibility within one day is small. So the amount of freedom that I have in one day isn't really that big. I can't tomorrow wake up and decide I'm a doctor. Nobody will come to see me. I can't, I can't wake up tomorrow and, and you know, become Reinhard Bonnke. Who I am today is largely predetermined by who I've been the past 30, however many years old I am. Does that make sense? So very often, philosophers and stuff will say, you know what, free will doesn't, it doesn't exist because there are so many factors predetermining us that the scope of our freedom is so narrow that it's insignificant. I mean, maybe, maybe you can choose whether you get breakfast cereal or bagels, but does that really mean anything? And what I want to show you is that even though the scope of your freedom in a day might be narrow, if you play it out over time, it's huge. So look at, look at the chart. So pretend that that first V is, a, is one day. Well, you know, you know let's, just, let's just say that it has to do with our relationship with the Lord. So pretend that if, if I take the top V, the top line, I spent the day praying. And then let's pretend that the bottom V is I didn't pray at all. I didn't think about Jesus at all. I thought about Chinese food or something. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same place I was where I started, right? I haven't moved a whole lot. And so that might lead you to believe, well, our choices don't matter. But, where I end one day affects where I start the next one. And so if I chose the top V, then I've got another V. And I can choose whether to serve the Lord and focus on the Lord or to focus on something else. If I consistently choose to spend time in prayer over a period of days and months and years, 
my relationship with God significantly increases. Conversely, if I choose not to focus on the Lord, my relationship with God can go down pretty bad. Right? And so, right now, where I am today, I believe it would be virtually impossible for Molly and I to get a divorce because of the history predetermining where we are. So today, that freedom is narrow. It's outside of that current V that I'm in. But how many of you understand we could still get there? If we consistently start making choices that are tearing apart our relationship, even though it's outside the range of possibility today, it's not outside the range of possibility in a year or two years or three years. The whole point of this is that your freedom is, is narrow in the short term, but in the long term, it's huge. I can't wake up tomorrow and be a doctor, but I could in five or ten years. That's really encouraging. You can be whatever you want. How do you do it? You, you realize, i got to make consistent decisions every day, pushing me towards a goal. So I'll actually grant that there are lots of factors influencing us, but I believe we still possess significant freedom, and I believe it's a real freedom. Well, I hope that made sense to somebody. Okay, we can turn off the chart. The, the whole point is, over time, you get, you get more freedom. You understand that? Okay. So, I believe that there's not an off switch in your brain. That God's not sovereignly controlling all the things that you do and that your choices matter. So, I just encourage you to exercise the freedom you have to serve the Lord. You'll never regret that decision. Okay. Why does that matter, Pastor? Well, because that absolves God of the blame for my bad decisions. Well, that was probably more than you bargained for. But anyway, I was going to preach this other message about, I don't know, it was a rah-rah message, and it would have been good, and I might preach it later. But I just thought, you know, we're going to do what we do, for better or for worse. <laughs> God's going to help us. Let's all stand up. If you need prayer, uh, just a second, my prayer team will be down here.